knocked down. Do that again, Rich, please. Sorry, I'm making, I'm letting it play long. Welcome everybody to episode 92 of the Light Shed podcast. Brandon Ross, Walt Pysik, and Rich Greenfield. Rich, your world was collapsing on Wednesday night. Came out swinging with the buy rating on Spotify Wednesday morning. Stocks down like 20 after hours, whatever it was. Wednesday, snap getting fucking crushed, pins getting crushed, all in this meta. Then everyone reported yesterday. You got on CNBC, came out firing, firing. I It was machine gun rich. I haven't seen you like this in a long time. You're feeling good. And then the text messages started pouring in. What were the text messages? Does Rich dye his hair red? Pull I don't up. even know what they're talking about. I have no idea what they're talking about. None. Rich, your hair looks red there. I don't think that's a representative picture. And I think you do know what they're talking about um, because many times we've been on Zooms and I pointed out that your face <laughs> looks like a fucking apple. Because it's so red because of the light that you use. And I can send screenshots. I can start tweeting screenshots to people to, and take Twitter polls on this if you wish. So you do know what he's talking about. I do not think I look. I thought you were. I thought you were. You look dying. wonderful now. Now you do because you adjusted your light. But before you went on CNBC, Walt was trying to tell you. I was. That you look like Mark Zuckerberg. A much older version, of course. But you didn't want to listen. You got offended. And now we yeah. had to put up with it with, with all the texts coming in. Yes. My favorite was when someone sent the Bozo the Clown emoji. Oh, it's <laughs> great. And that wasn't an ape? No. Oh, I should give everyone, if you want to see my current background. So I our, have to. Our have good to... friend, Uday Sekhand, and happy birthday, Uday. It's his birthday today. Drew me as a board ape. Do you think that this is an accurate representation of what I look like? No, it's definitely not worth a million six. <laughs> I was like, I'm actually like a little offended by it because I take a lot of pride in my luscious hair. Eyes right. He did get the eyes right. <laughs> I, think he got the, I think he got the hair right. The hair is the best part. Dude, the hair is the best part. Look look how thick and beautiful my hair is. And he drew it as like single strands of, of ugliness. I'm very sad about it. So, Brandon, when you sent those tweets last night um, pointing this out, I did, I did a little vanity search. I guess it's not vanity if it's on someone else, but I searched Rich Greenfield's name in, into the Twitter to see if anyone else was commenting on his the coloring of his hair or well, I didn't see anyone, any strangers, but I did. There are still a, a very large community of, of apes out there, rich that are 
Not quite in your Not board apes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, not board AM, apes. AMC apes. I, I believe you call them angry apes that are, yeah. not, <laughs> that are not in your fan club. Um, Those are the Moas apes? Is that the I right way to say it? I mean, if you're a friend of Charlie Gasparino, but I don't, I'm not really a, you know devout follower there so and moas is is that his thing that he's no pushing? no no. that's the apes that's what the apes push they go the, the mother of all short squeezes that's the oh that's... whatever sorry rich we're not spending all our time in the twitter gutter yeah in the acronyms <laughs> in the acronyms <laughs> all right shall we move on yeah to let's topic with the big... number one let's yeah because because it was big news this week i mean you just you, you sort of alluded to it Brandon, i but... teed it up i teed yeah, it but, up I mean, for you rich why don't you right. read our tweets well, I think the, the two that really stand out. So, you know, Forbes tweeted out Facebook lost daily users for the first time in its 18 year history. The platform's parent company Meta reported Wednesday, where Chief Mark Zuckerberg attributed to stiff competition from fast growing rivals like TikTok among young people. Uh, and then what was interesting is that obviously not only did this crush Facebook with its market cap down with $250 billion um, the following day, but Hank Green, friend of Lightshed, friend of the Shed, we actually had a Lightshed premium access with Hank earlier in the week. He tweeted out Snap and Pinterest stock both crashed today because people assumed that whatever was bad for Facebook was bad for everyone. Turns out they're both doing great and the problem is Facebook. Um, I'd say Pinterest still has some issues, but th- the reality is Snapchat is certainly not affected by what's happening here. And I think and why is that, Rich? Why is Snap not affected? Why is Pins not affected? What's different about those platforms versus Facebook? I think it's like Walter actually, you know, figured it out first more than anyone. Like he found pure entertainment and fun when he went on TikTok. Like that's why when Walt started pointing out TikToks, he would be like, I would just find something fun, funny that he would want to share with us and others. And I think that sort of speaks to like TikTok is entertainment. It's why you go there. When you think about YouTube, when you think about Instagram, when you think about Facebook, they've really sort of morphed into more of like these cures for boredom, these entertainment sort of ways to pass time. I think Facebook used to be a little more utilitarian. I think it hasn't really been that way in a while. And so, talk, what are you talking about? There's utilitarian use cases. The yeah, birthday app. How do, I mean, exactly. Yes. Everyone who I knew in like 2009, I always know to wish them a happy birthday. I knew to wish Uday a happy birthday today because of the Facebook app, to be fair. But but Snapchat's different. You don't go to Snapchat to be entertained. I mean, yes, you can watch entertainment when you're in the Snapchat app. But my kids go there 20, 30, 40, 50 times a day because they get a snap from somebody else, like just like we get iMessages or WhatsApps all during the day. And like, I just think Wall Street people, investors don't use Snapchat. And I think it makes it more difficult to understand that the use cases are completely different. There isn't, you know, in the war for time, there it isn't a zero risk, I guess, to, say, to be fair. But I think the- Of course not. But what's this happening- This app is it broadened its use cases, obviously, because it, mon- it doesn't monetize on messaging, right? But right. messaging is what keeps it sticky and allows it to monetize- on some of well, the other media filter, products. F- filters are do monetize. They don't monetize like content, but they True. do. I think they're actually the first person to figure out how to monetize messaging. They probably don't get enough credit for it. But the other thing that no one talks about is my kids all the time go to see where people are on the Snap map, like where all their friends are. There is no feature like that in Facebook, Instagram, you know, inside of YouTube. Like it is just a different- Or at least not one that you would enable them to have access to. That's for sure. <laughs> 
And what's interesting? Facebook launches Map to yeah. track you. And oh all my friends. God! What's interesting about Map though is it's really Snap's best first-party data source right now. Um, we've talked. We've talked to Evan about the fact that they can go to a, a local store in any city and, and basically tell them what their foot traffic is. Um, which is pretty amazing. And Evan's always like, hey, we're not creepy. We don't track people. But no, they're just tracking everyone's every movement. So, I mean, there's a little bit of hypocrisy um, from Evan there. But I mean, there's also an incredible advertising product. Like that's that's sort of the answer to, yes, IDFA is a problem. They definitely fucked up. They made mistakes, but they have far more data than investors realize. Yeah, and they they need that data in this kind of post-NTT IDFA world. Now, I just want to also draw the dichotomy between Facebook and some of these other platforms in that Facebook is fighting a multi-front war right now. It is not just that they're fighting against TikTok and IDFA, which is two fronts, while the others just have IDFA to contend with, but they're also fighting against the government right now. They're fighting against the press who hates them right now. And they're everything kind of like put together means it's making it harder to recruit. So Zuck is literally fighting a world war, right? And, um, and everyone else is kind of just fighting one war at a time. And that makes it very difficult to operate. Part of me was like, is he calling out competition so much right now, like in the evil Zuckerberg way so that he can yeah, like mean, turn around and say to the government, look, I'm under attack. <laughs> like, let me do M&A so I could build the metaverse. Well, you can't necessarily fake numbers and the numbers speak for themselves. Fair enough. So of course. Maybe it's I'd flip it the other way and say like this government obsession with big tech might be a little bit off base when TikTok, which was a, a very young company, forget about the the you know the origin of TikTok, but the real new TikTok is only a few years old, right? And has effectively taken down a beast this quickly. And so that is more reflective of the market. And then obviously looking on a more global scale in terms of this being a US company and how many US large tech companies are restricted in terms of their access in China. So restricting these companies, keeping them small, not enable them to build up. The competition is not only in the U.S. front; it's on a global basis. So none of and this is that strategic to us, Walt. Like as a country, let's one hundred percent is strategic, and none of this clearly would resonate with the head of the FTC and 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 who this administration has put in place. So are you now kneecapping U.S. companies because of these just kind of? anti-big tech policies that exist. Well, sure, there's I, reasons. I feel like there's something you want to say. There's certainly that's, reasons that... Let's go, Brandon. There's certainly... <laughs> absolutely. I would never say that. Um, only when I'm cheering you on, though. That's right. Um, but there's... there's Look, there's certainly... There's reasons for regulators, for sure, right? But like, there's a larger picture here. And like, how is this not a primary talking point in terms of competition for the large companies. Do you see that being talked about anywhere? Anywhere? Here's what's amazing, Walt. 
the FTC sued Facebook and the courts just recently let the lawsuit proceed based on the fact that it's sort of an anti-competitive monopoly. And, you know, you think about the fact that two of the monopoly largest- Monopoly of what? Com- Alerting me about birthdays? Two of, <laughs> two of the largest companies <laughs> in the world, Facebook and Google, are being forced to change their business models, like literally pivot their business models because of TikTok. Like the reason they did Reels, the reason YouTube Shorts, both of those are being forced upon these companies because what TikTok figured out is an incredible product. And I think the, the most shocking words or the most vulnerable words that Mark spoke the other night is he literally said, like when was sort of thinking about how this is different than when they copied Snapchat stories and did Instagram stories. Snapchat was tiny back then. TikTok is massive and growing at a massive rate. And Mark made it sound like he wasn't confident that they could even catch or whether what they're changing and pivoting yeah. to. I mean, whether he it would may, be look, he may again be playing this up because he Maybe. knows he needs M&A. Like there's there could be we talk about the world existing in shades of gray, right? So maybe he was moving over in shade and playing it up a little because he absolutely needs M&A. Sure, right? You can't but to lie Walt's- about the numbers. I mean, the yeah. numbers are what the, they no, are. No, the numbers are what they are. I mean, the, guidance, was- the guidance is to grow 3 to 11% top right, so line. But I want to come back to Walt's point. Crazy. Walt's point is the most important one. Walt nailed it. Is anyone talking about this threat? And the answer is no. No one seems worried about this. In fact, I saw more people cheering for Facebook's death the other day, not saying, oh, my God, China's got a monster. This company from Asia is a monster growing like crazy. And U.S. companies can't do M&A. No one was talking about that. Anti-U.S. company sentiment. I mean, the fact that we're having an EV forum and not Elon Musk is not there. Like, are we uh, against successful U.S. companies at the expense of other companies, foreign companies? (laughs) Basically, I mean, is Twitter allowed in China? Is it? No. By the way, this is this is not a U.S. first most of the world thing. This is a U.S. first China thing, really, that we're talking about. Sure. Just like kind of like pointed out. Sure. I mean, look, I don't know. But but no one's talking about sort of this relative this situation right now. It's just I see everyone dancing on Facebook's grave right now. And look, I, you know, if, if Facebook can't do M&A, I mean, we talk about the metaverse, Brandon. If the metaverse is going to be Roblox and Epic and all of these things, I don't know if Microsoft. Can, right. And Satya, by the way, came out and talked this week. I forget um, which podcast it was, um, but very frankly about how important M&A is to their metaverse ambitions and specifically this deal with um with activision blizzard well actually so why don't we go right to that i'm going to audible and why don't we go right into okay. that, brandon let's do it talk about because because there was news this week that the fcc is actually going to review that deal that worried you um yes yeah, so i'll go right to ign the ftc will reportedly be reviewing microsoft's intended acquisition of activision blizzard amid a more aggressive stance from the government agency on big tech mergers um I'm going to go right to Walt because Walt is our Washington <laughs> DC. I, I don't even know what to say about that tweet. When you say aggressive stance or binary stance, or just like well, done in well, academic, not based in like, you know, 
how our markets are trying to function in a global economy. So uh, like, what are you going to do? This person is in charge. This administration is currently in charge. Um, and it is what it is. You have to deal with with the the cards that are dealt you with whoever was appointed to run an agency. Well, can can I take a step back and ask you a well, question, no, Walt, or not? I, Rich, go ahead. Because I just I want to answer your question. And I, I cut important. everyone off. Go ahead. No, Rich. because I because I because I want to follow up on what you know on your question, Brandon. I'm kidding. Because go it's ahead. Important. No, because it's important. The reality is, and I think we talked about this in the past. It just means you're going to have to go to lawsuits. Like the yes. government's going to sue you. Yes. And you I have was, to be prepared I was for actually, it. Yes, I was going to get there. But what I what I wanted to ask Walt is. FTC versus DOJ review. Is there a difference in the approach that each takes? And if we look at these agencies under the Biden administration, it it does one reviewing versus the other have any meaningful impact? Well, I think a lot of times the agencies will coordinate together. I think to Rich's the point that Rich just made, if it's a it's a suit as opposed to what we talked about, I think on last week's podcast with the FCC, they have an uh, administrative law judge. The time frame is much longer with the FCC. So there's a little bit more of, it's kind of a death penalty when you, when you go to the, no, no, no. I'm saying at the FCC, oh, it's FCC, death, okay. FCC communications, right. That it's more of a death penalty. If you send it to the ALJ, cause it's a lengthier process with that said, this is FTC first, though. That's what I'm Yeah, exactly. Okay, so ahead. with that said, you're still burdening companies with litigation that takes some time. If you look at the Sprint T-Mobile, again, this was not DOJ was actually on the side of the deal um, under Macon Del Rahim, but this was the attorney generals, which were trying to express their authority. Um, And, you know, by Letitia James in New York, and I forget who it was in California, it delayed that deal for like six to nine months. It delayed how quickly 5G could be deployed in the country was has an economic impact. And guess what? They fucking lost. It was, and I was there for every day of the trial, and they lost. So it was just a waste of time. And thank God for us being a nation of laws, um, you know, in terms of turning these things out. But it's still a burden on companies. And some companies will say, "Fuck it, I'll take you on in court and win." Yeah. And other companies would be like, "I just don't have the resources or the time or the aggravation to have to deal with that." Well, it's interesting vis-a-vis Microsoft because if if you look at history and the rules of the of our country, you would think Microsoft wins this, especially, and we'll get into the next tweet after, or we may as well now. Why don't you pull it up, Rich? I'm going to just pull up what you had. Um, or or not. Sorry. No, no, no. It's just, it's just slow. Okay. The, the second one here from Jason Trier is Sony is buying Bungie, the maker of Destiny, another seismic gaming deal that comes just two weeks after Microsoft purchased Activision Blizzard. Bungie put Xbox on the map. Now it's part of PlayStation Studios. Okay. So don't forget in this world from both a content and a distribution standpoint, Sony is bigger than Microsoft is, right? Microsoft's actually playing catch up here. And now they have to worry, catch up to, by the way, a non-US company, if you want to kind of tie it all together. And they have to worry about their deal being blocked. So does it make it easier for Microsoft Activision that Sony's buying Bungie? I mean, I, I was like, I was kind of thinking of myself and I tweeted this out. I mean, I think it probably makes like on the preponderance, it makes it easier 
for Microsoft to say why they need this, their deal to happen. Number one. Number two is along with this, this destiny thing, um, there's talk that Sony is going to get into subscription in a bigger way. And what Microsoft is actively trying to do is disentangle the platform from the hardware and by and to enable subscription. And now, because of the move they took and the counter moves by Sony, Sony might be playing into their hands in advancing that. So yeah, I think it's interesting and a positive on a, for multiple reasons um, for Microsoft that Sony went ahead and did this or is trying to. But I guess... By the way, Bungie is best known for creating Halo. Halo isn't even part of it anymore, right? That's still at Microsoft. I mean, you're basically getting Destiny, which was you know not doing so hot under Activision before but they spun. I, but can I just ask you, because I think you also have some Rockstar news, which is Take-Two. Yeah, we could get to why that is, as well. Why is Sony not just stepping in and buying Take-Two? Like if that, if, if the, isn't that the power move? Like that's the other huge asset here? Yeah, I mean, and we've written about this as well. You go, you're going to, if you take, if you do that and you take something of that size, something like GTA five has sold 150 million units and has been a massive contributor um, since 2014, I think 13 or 14 when it came out, like you're destroying a lot of value by taking that exclusive to subscription and exclusive to yourself. Right. So I, I mean, they could do it and they could take the tact that they don't necessarily take everything and um, make it exclusive over time. But I mean, you think it's harder for Sony as a non-US company than it is for Activision in this case? No, I, I don't. But I, I'll tell you one thing, like Rockstar, the Housers or the Houser that's left also has to agree to that. Right. Otherwise, you have nothing. And, and, um, and you have news and, today, and, which could, could drive the valuation even higher. Of, yeah, of I, I don't know if this drives the valuation even higher, um, but the news here is after years of rumors and reports, Rockstar has confirmed it's working on a new Grand Theft Auto game and that it's well underway. Like, no shit, right? We, we all knew it was coming. It's just a matter of when. That's how, I mean, the stock's up, what, 5% right now. It's like everyone knew it was coming. It's just a time value of money situation as to exactly when that game is released. And that's why Take-Two is always traded kind of at a premium valuation to the rest of the group. They're trading at like high 20s multiple. And the rest of the group was like at high teens. Why? Because they have the best content. And what is crucial to that content is the next version of GTA coming out. Let's shift gears over to music um, or sort of, I guess, podcasting and music with Spotify. Um, Audio. You know, Daniel Eck tweeted out. Uh, actually, I should, I should even, I think we, before we get to Daniel Eck, um, obviously huge controversy following Joe Rogan, other artists sort of, a few other artists sort of complained, talked about pulling their music, you know, like the E Street Band, not Bruce. Uh, but like there was just noise over Joni Mitchell, I think, had threatened. I don't know if she actually removed the music or not. But Spotify over the weekend 
actually came out and did something that was meaningful. They followed the Facebook policy, essentially, or the Twitter policy of we're going to label things and label sort of things around COVID, create a dedicated, I think I saw it yesterday launch, like there's a dedicated COVID-19 hub now on Spotify. I honestly don't know why it took so long. And Daniel Eck, who tweets here, um, there's been a lot of conversation about information regarding COVID-19 on Spotify. We've heard the criticism. We're implementing change to help combat misinformation. I don't know why it took so long. I really don't. I think that was sort of the mistake by Daniel. But I thought what was more interesting was Joe Rogan posted a nearly 10-minute video in which he addressed the controversy surrounding the Spotify podcast. And I actually thought, you know, Walt Brandon, like I actually thought like a lot of his points were like hard to refute, like in terms of sort of he understood, you know, maybe he was pushed to do it, but he sort of talked about needing to show both sides and wanting to do more on showing both sides. But he sort of talked about why he had on lots of experts onto his show. And yep. I don't know. It just it, there's a lot of things, I'm sure, across the information. I'm sure we could find people on on Spotify doing podcasts on lots of subjects that we disagree with the information. Sure. Feel the information. Yeah, they're just not as high, they're just not as high profile as Joe Rogan is. So he's going to be more singled out here. I mean, you know yeah, how, but I how think, I think about that. it, but, but it goes beyond that because I think in this case, I think part of it is also Spotify controls Joe Rogan. That right? is true. You know, they are not just purely They're paying him a lot of money. Correct. And so does that change it? Are you publisher IP holder? What can you sort of, you know, and does it even matter when there's plenty of other not owned IP that you probably let that lots of people would disagree with? The question is, will this impact them at all? Because the things seem to have died down. I remember it, it's kind of to me reminiscent of when Walter Mossberg was like making such a show like, oh, I deleted my Facebook account Lord. and everyone. And then I had an insufferable number of tweets about people deleting their Facebook account. I don't see those insufferable tweets in my stream. What I, I see a lot of wordles that are insufferable to see over and over again, wordle scores. But it but point is like I don't see this as like some like groundswell. I know Professor Galloway is no longer gonna have his podcast there. So I'm not sure if that's a reason for me not to continue to subscribe to I want I don't uh, listen to, to Galloway unless I need well, a contraindicator, of course. Lightshed will, <laughs> will be continuing to offer this podcast. That is that is Spotify. right. We will. But I will say Walt Mossberg left Facebook and Instagram on December 17th, 2018. And, you know, obviously Facebook's got some issues now, more than some issues. They've got real issues now. But you would have missed quite a run in Facebook stock if you sold the stock on December 17th, 2018. (laughs) Some never even understood. I mean, I guess I kind of understand it because of all the bad shit that Zuck's company did in terms of the election things. Undeniable. Um, Maybe some of it was exaggerated. But again, like if this were all your friends from your entire life where you can actually wish them happy birthday and see what they're doing, like, do you just not have friends? Like, I don't like I don't (laughs) get it. You don't want to connect with your friends. And it's very easy to do whatever. I digress. I go back to 2018, but I don't see those same people. I don't see any deleting Spotify or no one's like, maybe I mean, there, there, there were there. some, ha- there were some hashtags. I definitely saw it. No, I know people, some- pe- I know people who, you know, switch from Spotify to, to Apple, Apple music, music, whatever. Yeah. Right. Enjoy that. Whatever. Enjoy exactly. that experience. Enjoy. I don't that know. I mean, I have all the services. Well, I use Castro. So I would say the same thing to you, 
Rich. Enjoy your podcasting experience on Spotify. YouTube so music's to, awesome, by the <laughs> way. I encourage <laughs> people to use like, it. <laughs> that little comment goes both ways. By the way, Rich, um, the bigger issue, I guess, on Spotify is maybe less about Joe Rogan and more I'm hearing about the fact that no musicians actually make money on the platform <laughs> other than maybe the top couple of percent. Thoughts? I mean, that's I mean, a whole other thing. And like what the margin structure is going to yeah. look like going Thoughts forward. That? Because the real battleground and the reason why the stock was down, I believe, had nothing to do with this Joe Rogan shit. It was because the margin guidance for Q1 was a little weak. There could be a synergies with UFC. That's another platform that doesn't seem to be able to compensate the content that's on there. Oh, God. Spotify does a great job compensating talent. The story that gets lost is the same people not making money on Spotify weren't selling records either. So let's just be. Yeah, seriously. Know, like, let's be serious. Records? Like, they they're, if they're brand new artists, that those that platform doesn't exist for them anymore what do you mean selling records first of all nobody was making money selling <laughs> records anyway the only way you made money as an artist was touring like this whole conversation is, is ridiculous like i understand it's, it's dan, buzzword. dan did save like he the recorded music business he literally single-handedly single saved, saved it and he deserves credit for that a lot of credit now the question is going from here from a stock perspective is okay. what is the margin profile going to look like and does rhetoric like this feed the labels such that they're going to not give an inch on on their take going forward am i the rhetoric am i the rhetoric contribution to this podcast i'll just throw the rhetoric in there for discussion topics no i mean it's 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 not like just you i mean this is a topic of conversation neil young talking about it and at any time something negative about spotify comes up it always like kind of goes back to that and it's and it is like a key piece of the stock let's go over to uh a little wireless walter in the overseas oh another brandon who is this i don't like when people i don't know who brandon ralph is He's a follower on the, of mine on Twitter. Um, and I was <laughs> talking on Twitter. So we had earnings week, which by the way, um, earnings scorecard doing quite well. I think one of your brand of your companies, WWE has a brand new IR person and they're still, they're still pushing on the, the 35 minute um, break point on prepared comments for going to the hall of shame. So we might, need, well, we, we, are, season, we, we are, might need some seasoning there. I think that, you know, it's the dream team from Time Warner of Michael White and Seth Zaslow have been reunited. This was their first call um, since that happened. And um, I think you'll probably see better going forward. Um, there were 33 minutes. Definitely, definitely happy to have Zaslow back in media land. He, had, he had detoured into space, which is, you know, we're, we're hanging out a little bit so- lately. Snapchat still read after publishing their prepared remarks. They still read Dude, them. It's a fucking joke already. Like, I don't get it. Why publish it if you're going to talk about it? Like, if, if you're going to, if you're going to literally read it word for word, like, just do one or the other. I don't get it. It's, it's, literally, don't get it's it. literally fucking horrible. Okay. Sorry. Well, or at least wireless. do it. At least sorry. do it on like one and a half speed, like record it and then hit play on one and a half speed so we could get through it. It's terrible. I did add a category on the fly because T-Mobile 
there's very high energy on their earnings calls and everything's great and their stock was up. So like we counted the number of times that the word excited or excited. Well, actually, at first I ran a Twitter poll to see how many times you would hear them say excited. We're so excited. Everything's great. We're so excited. It was 13 excited, 16, six excitings and two terrifics. Although one of them was from an analyst. Uh, I am was, that their, was that their IR strategy? <laughs> who, who, no, the IR, IR stra- no, the IR strategy is to keep anyone off the call that has a neutral rating or less so that they only oh. have favorable analysts. Someone's going into the hall a, of shame. A very different strategy than than the prior IR team at T-Mobile that was willing to take on any tough questions. But mm-hmm. it's circle the wagons time. Is, so is, I, I am is this making a prediction. Sprint, no, I'm sprint making IR prediction. or something? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm making a prediction. Use of the word metaverse will be down sequentially. <laughs> Next quarter or this quarter? Because it this might quarter, already be in the this scripts. quarter. I think I think Zucks. I think what's happening at Facebook is going to scare people from using it. We'll say, but it's inter- it's interesting though because it's not the metaverse part of the business that's fucked up. It's like it's the business that actually exists today that's fucked up. And then you have Microsoft yeah, it, doing again a sixty-eight billion dollar acquisition to push the metaverse forward. We'll see. We'll, well let's see how many people use it. We'll see. About uh, that metaverse. All right, ETF. go ahead, Walt. Yeah, go ahead. I, I still want to draw correlations to the stock performance of of companies that take questions versus not. Certainly, T-Mobile's stock when they actually took questions versus how it's performed subsequently is quite divergent. What's interesting though on the T-Mobile calls is one thing that's new at T-Mobile. They used to say ARPU, which is the monthly bills that the customers would pay. Um, it would be plus or minus one percent. So what's new? Um, is that they're saying it's going to be flat to up. This is something that Verizon's talked about. AT&T, probably a next year type of thing. I mean, they only have HBO Max. They haven't been pushing these extra letters after the 5G icon on your phone as much as T-Mobile and Verizon. So let's just look at T-Mobile and Verizon. You have an industry which everyone kind of paints as super competitive. Mm -hmm. And yet the belief is that the monthly bills of customers are going to go up. I mean, is that sustainable? I, I did put a Twitter poll about this. Um, there's actually two, well, it's probably going to be too late by the time people get this podcast, but 40% of respondents um, said that, yes, they think that ARPU can go in 2023 and beyond that ARPUs will continue to rise in the wireless industry. Um, 31% said no, and 30% said declines are inevitable. Now, if you can bring that fucking tweet back up, Rich, if I'd appreciate so I was, we were tweeting about this and, and I got a respondent from the UK who said, it's actually quite, got to try and do it in a British accent now. It's actually quite funny over here across it's the pond quite funny. in the UK. Brilliant. <laughs> I don't see Mobile. the word pond. I, why, I Walt, do you go to the UK a lot? You should have a better British accent. Well, I, it requires one or two bitters and then a <laughs> <laughs> Mobile prices are on a general decline, but we see a lot less packaging with content. And 5G seems to be bundled for free. And rich. And by the way, let me just finish this. For context, I paid 10 pounds, um, which is about 14 bucks for unlimited texting calls and 30 gig of data, which 30 gig of data is, is more than enough, I think, for most people, and included 5G. So Rich was like, what do you mean 5G? And so the point is, for the rate plans for Verizon and some of these others, you don't get the extra version of 5G, meaning the mid-band stuff, the super fast stuff unless you're on a higher tier rate plan. So the goal of the operators is to get you to upgrade to their highest tier 
rate plans. And then that's what's going to ultimately drive ARPU up. The other thing that we've talked about here is you know, putting Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever it is in the higher tier rate plans, getting you up to upgrade that way. So, you, so with the bottom line is we have very high ARPUs in the US, monthly bills for your wireless bill in the US compared to any country around the world. The telecom industry is considered this super competitive business. Churn rates are at near record lows or historical lows. ARPUs are increasing. Which are low anyway, by the way. Correct. Even Lower at the- historical highs. <laughs> Correct. And your your EBITDA margins are north of, of 50%. And somehow this is characterized by investors as like this hyper-competitive industry. Rich, would you ever switch your wireless operator at some point? He did. Remember, he switched the T-Mobile. And if Verizon got Netflix, Altice, I think, briefly. Yeah, he, he switched twice dude, in like a week. Dude, dude, Altice, that was the worst human decision ever. Literally, that was the yeah. worst decision ever. That made. was amazing when it's you some, were trying to call to like get the thing fixed. <laughs> but it's but at some point, like, so you've been on T-Mobile. It's been fine, right? T-Mobile is totally good. fine. I wouldn't yeah. even notice the difference. Great. So like, let's say they're generally, and, and by the way, as T-Mobile has put more spectrum in their network, they haven't, they've seen their share of gross additions go down, not up. Verizon, years ago when Verizon put more spectrum in their network, their share of gross ads went up. The spectrum, the networks are getting better and T-Mobile may have yeah. the best network, but is it yielding increased share? So if you're not yielding share, if, if your perception of a, as a consumer, you Rich, you Brandon, is that like, ah, they're all the same. If someone actually came to you, if this wasn't an oligopoly and said like, dude, I'll charge you 40% less. Like I just got with Fios versus my all yes. option. This is the charter. This Your is like willingness the whole to switch has to increase. So my so my question to you is like, does it seem reasonable to think that ARPUs are going to increase from the year 2024 on, 23, 4 on, like as this kind of processes through? Does your phone plan that you're on your device plan which you you're on probably a 24 amount now maybe 36 months does that keep you in because you can always pay off the phone and switch to somebody i also feel like buy the phone out right it's also getting harder to understand switching because so many things are being included so it's actually making it more difficult to understand like what it means like i get netflix for included i get i don't forget what else what else did they but if peter adderton came to you and said rich you're spending you're going to put your 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 information into our system you're spending let's say 300 bucks a month for your family and i'm going to offer it to you for 150 and you're going to have to go out on your own and buy your own netflix and you're going to be like oh let me do the simple math on that 150 plus 15 or 20 or whatever yeah. netflix is jacking us at right now 20 with i'm going to save 100 bucks a month yeah. on the same network or a better network because you're on T-Mobile now, maybe you're going to go into a different network that is perceived as better. I think, look, my biggest fear originally was the network wasn't going to be as good, and it clearly has been. Right. And I what screwed you on Altice, what screwed you on Altice years ago was the back office stuff. So if you have a decent, if, if everything's now virtualized in the cloud and you have a back office and your, your experience is virtually the same, like, is it reasonable to think that ARPUs are just going to go up like in perpetuity? I don't know. Uh, and by the know. way, th- I mean, the second leg of this is, does this mean cable is going to steal share? The, the, the only last piece I, w- I want to jump or jump in with to answer Walt's question is just, it is an essential service. Like you don't even think like you can't imagine life without wireless. Sure. And so modest increases 
do you even really focus on it because it's so important? And how many people switch when they see a 3% increase or a 4% increase? Do you give a shit? And when Sprint offered free free phone for a year, 50% off, the reason people didn't switch is because it was a shit network. Yeah, but in exactly. this case, if your perception is that there's the network quality is generally commoditized, that you're no most people aren't doing you this. might be willing to churn, more willing to churn. Well, if someone offers you a 30 or 40 percent discount, sure. like the reason I switched point, to T-Mobile at that point in time was because the discount was so significant that you pointed out. I don't that's know, why I switched that day. Well, that's why you switched to Altice. But cable well, is somewhat is... hampered because they're they're getting charged a certain rate by Verizon. Maybe those rates are lower. There's other MVNOs that are getting lower rates. And at some point, I know there's a lot of skeptical people out there. Dish is going to build a very flexible capacity network where someone can build the app in Amazon on top of it and maybe hit the market at half the price of what somebody... And maybe they were not going to take that many customers. Who knows? Maybe the perception of the network's going to be bad. But if Dish, yeah. unlike the cable companies, offloads a lot on their own network and then uses AT&T to roam outside the, then you're just getting AT&T's network, which is like, is it that much different than what Verizon or T-Mobile is offering in the market? I don't think so. Onward and upward. Next. We have a little Brandon Ross special right now. Um, Why don't I play the audio first on WW and then we can talk about it. Okay. Okay. So here, hold on. In terms of subs, over 3.5 million fully paid Peacock subscribers have watched WWE content since we moved our product over last March. As you recall, WWE Network had 1.1 million subscribers in the U.S. when we closed the Peacock deal. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Are you not going to play the rest of it? I can play that. You want me to play the rest of it? I, I don't know. I don't know what's there. So An let's hear it. audience and viewership led by a strong in-ring product. And the right partner and platform has created wins for all parties. More people are watching WWE premium live events than ever before. In terms of reach, okay. Yeah, all right. Here's the but. Here's the bottom line on on this. Right. I thought this was the strongest part of the call. They shut down WWE Network last year, sold it, everything off to Peacock, and. There are a lot more eyeballs on that content now. He's talking to three and a half million um, people having engaged with it versus 1.1 million um, subscribers there were in the U.S. As you think about building the business for the long term, upcoming Raw and SmackDown uh, renegotiations, you want to have as many fans and as many people engaging in your content as possible, especially on your highest end content which you know WrestleMania itself um, is on peak was on Peacock last year will be this year of course all of the old quote pay-per-views so broader engagement is extremely strategic to them and it's working out now why is it working out because when you have a single purpose over the top um, network you only get super fans to subscribe. You don't get the casual fan to interact with the content. And if you want to start thinking about things like um, sports going over the top, you don't, the, the average person who's tuning in for reasons of pop culture or just general interest isn't going to be there to watch sports, especially RSNs. 
um, uh, eventually going over the top. You lose that casual fan. And that is not good for a league. And, you know, probably wasn't good for WWE when they were on their own. So a good strategic decision in the end. So I agree with that 100% conceptually. However, as a user of Peacock, I find that hard to digest, meaning that like I watch <laughs> because e- Peacock sucks oh, <laughs> because the user interface is that fucking bad. So no, it is, it is bad. I know you're out there, but I apologize. But like, fix it, dude. And like, so on soccer, but if you're tuning in for so Yellowstone, let him talk. Let him talk. Okay. Let him talk. <laughs> That's a good interjection. That was a good back. So like, I'm going to put aside the switching between NBCSN and Peacock and all this nonsense. Like when the episode ends of the of the game, it just ends. It doesn't take you and say like, hey, would you like to watch that or flip you automatically to WWE? Would you? I mean, maybe no soccer fans give a shit about WWE, but like there's nothing that I've seen. And as a user of more than anybody here of Peacock that would suggest that it's it's take. So maybe it's just I don't know. Maybe well, that just, could be product evolution that needs to occur. Sure. Right? But I'm saying because that w- Netflix Netflix is the way they switched you between content, the way they recommended 100%. content to you yeah. has changed and improved over time. They're way further advanced on a, the technology front than all of yes. these more nascent ones. Yes. So I would expect Peacocks to, to get you know, better. I, I, I'm just dealing with the numbers. So the, the initial numbers that you were showing in that tweet to me is more of WWE helping Peacock than Peacock helping W. Maybe that's the wrong. It's take. both. I, I think it's. I think it's symbiotic, though, right? Sure. Because I mean, he went through all of the pay-per-views, and they were up. Like every one of them was viewership was 70 percent higher than the year before. So imagine if it was built into ESPN Plus, or imagine if it was built into. You know, imagine WWE was acquired by Netflix and was built into Netflix. Like I, the question is, if they were part of a much larger platform with the viewership, like the problem with as, WWE, a, as opposed to Peacock, right? Whether from a license w- or an acquisition standpoint. Well, I'm just sort of pointing out WWE Network, you had to pay directly for it and it had small. That's viewership. right. You put it onto Peacock, which is relatively small and it has. Yeah, viewership. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if you put it on put to on Apple TV to, Plus or Amazon or or Netflix, Netflix or da, 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 da. right. So yeah. are HBO you saying Max. did they do they have yeah. the right partner? I mean, and now when you start to think about Ron yes, SmackDown, and this is something at. that I asked Nick on the call last night. Like I very directly asked yeah. him. I was like, "You wanted the broadest possible reach, which is why you did the Fox broadcast deal. When you go in two, three years, whatever it is." For the next deal, are you thinking about these streaming platforms as being the way to get the most engagement with your content? And there's an argument to be made that doing a Netflix deal gives you absolutely the most total exposure at this point in the game. I don't disagree. Now, the other interesting thing on the call was... My favorite part of a WWE call is when Nick comes on and opines about the industry. Um, not WWE at all. Not, not WWE. I mean, like, Nick we'd who, like Nick to who. learn about Nick. Who? Ni- oh, sorry, Nick Khan, who is the current president of, okay. of WWE. And so he comes on yesterday and very strangely starts talking about MA, like gaming MA. Mm-hmm. Um, to start with, but then like all across, you know, 
uh, TMT. First of all, I was like, gaming M&A, you're, you're stepping into my territory now. Like, that's for me to talk about, not you, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but I had to ask him about it because I'm like, are you implying that WWE is for sale? Why are you bringing um, up all of this M&A out of nowhere and talking about how you know distributors verging with content companies and what was the answer what was the answer well i asked the question and like they kind of like completely poo-pooed it um he's like oh there was nothing strategic about talking about it i was just pointing out that there's demand you know for content and we're a content player i don't know it, it was a little bit oddly placed and i know that nick like when he opines on the industry most of the time it's on the deals that are happening, like uh, Sunday ticket, all these things, because he wants to show everybody that there's so much demand for content. Now he's t- opining on m and So anyway, I brought it up. And at the end of bringing it up, um, they asked me if I was going to be at WrestleMania. And I was like, uh, yeah, of course, I'm going to be at WrestleMania. Um, now I have no choice, obviously, but to go. And then Nick said, good, because we have a pile driver waiting for you when we when you get there. So you should be nervous. I'm scared. I'm going to wear a helmet um, when when I go and I'm going to stay away from Nick and Vince. Well, now you know what it's like to be Rich Greenfield. Let's go back to, <laughs> the, to the discovery of content in, in terms of Peacock being shitty. Oh, boy. No, no, I just want to say that, like, again, this is we're still in the early days, right? That's a, a favorite thing that you love to say, Rich, early days. Yep. It's and early days. It's I'm early. watching some apocalypse show that's on HBO Max. I forget the name mm-hmm. of it. Not important. Um, I, I like went back to the HBO Max. It was hard. That's the one. Apple, and I know this is Apple has a very small market share relative to the other options out there. If you go to the Apple TV app, it's just yep. whether I'm looking for something on Netflix or HBO Max, it's just easy to find stuff. And I'm guessing you're going to tell me Roku has the same thing and mm-hmm. and the Android has the same thing. And I guess the point is like there there is a risk here that like if you if you your peacock or and you don't develop your app fast enough that the landing page is going to be away from you. You're not going to go into and what you do in the app is going to be irrelevant. You're just going to be a commoditized library through another you know, central landing point, which I'm increasingly finding myself and I'm, now I want to go to all my TVs and switch it to Apple TV because that Apple TV app is a great landing point to, to find content that I've been watching and I'm interested I, in. I agree with that. But once you're in the app, they have a lot of control to direct you and make it so you never leave. So the, one of the problems is this goes back to the binging. If you don't allow binging. So if you're Disney Plus, when you finish that episode of Boba Fett, Boba Fett, like <laughs> you're done and you go out. And then you're back in the Apple interface. Shut the up. Reason, I know I pronounced the, it wrong. the reason Disney is going to keep. First of all, can we talk about Boba Fett for a second here? Oh, and God. I have no spoilers. Tangent. So Tangent. No, one, no one needs to put pause, but oh, no boy. spoilers. But like Disney continues to do a great job at trying to inter- intermingle content to attract you to search for that content. Mm-hmm. So while it's, it's got off to a really bad start, I would recommend binging to get to the latest episode if you're if you're a Star Wars fan of any ilk. Um, okay. What about Bubba Gump? Bubba, Bubba Gump, <laughs> Bubba Fett. Uh, we got obviously other other personnel news this week. Jeff Zucker resigned from CNN. We've got you know Alex Sherman tweeting out Jeff Zucker and David Zaslav are longtime buds, but his departure from ease. Buds, longtime buds. 
This guy. Um, they get after Come it on, together. Dude. Come on. Zaslav was on CNBC this morning. And I know. I'm just saying friend. the use of the word buds are longtime buds. Come on, dude. But it Tighten may it, ease Zaslav's integration of CNN sources. Say that's because Discovery sees CNN's value as part of a larger bundle of streaming content rather than a standalone news service. Basically, CNN Plus, which hasn't even launched yet, sounds like it's basically DOA. Like it's just not going to exist in a in a Warner Bros. Discovery world. It sounds like CNN content will just be part of HBO Max, just like Discovery Plus. We're predicting in our top twenty-two is going to be part of uh, HBO Max. It sounds like CNN Plus will is basically. I think the view that Zaslav talked about this morning is just he sees news as incremental to a streaming service, which is interesting because there's been news on Peacock and not to beat up too much on Peacock today. And there's been news on Paramount Plus, And I don't think that's why people are using those platforms at all. Like, I don't think there's any proof yet. You mean for news? I just Isn't don't see CNN's news. viewership down like 90 <laughs> percent. I don't think anyone's watching CNN, period. Yeah, but tr- no, but Trump is starting to like raise the rhetoric a little bit. And little bit. as so yeah. raise the rhetoric did it ever go down he kind of disappeared for well, a little because while they kicked him off of twitter that's, that's no i un- i understand but now now he's starting to speak at rallies again there's coverage for cnn there's stuff for them to talk about so you know uh maybe they, maybe cnn should should put him into cuomo's spot and have him give him a nightly show <laughs> maybe cnn just needs to keep it in their pants what um <laughs> I think we're going to move on from that. But I think the bottom line is, <laughs> look, people pay for news. They pay for the New York Times. They pay for the Wall Street Journal. They pay for the FT. Not massive, mass, but like, you know, New York Times just revised up their long-term guidance. The question is, is, is CNN content have enough people? This is like the, this is your WWE point. Is it big enough to stand on its own? No. It, or should it be part of a larger organization. Or yes. Or I mean, essentially uh, the, the way unbundling has worked is it's not been network by network. It's been company by company. And you essentially have these super networks over the top and that's it. Which is, by the way, Rich, I was thinking back to you and I whiteboarding like five or six years ago. And we did that presentation at Noya House where we uh-huh. said this is what was going to happen. So Pat's on our backs. Next. I wonder what Ted Turner would think about the state of CNN today. Cowboy up. This is uh, a press release. Discovery confirms exclusive discussions with BT Group to create a sports joint venture in the UK and Ireland. Um, That's a nice font for the title. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, leaving that aside, the reason this is interesting, (laughs) the reason this is interesting is not all victories. It's actually less interesting as a discovery story. It's more interesting as a DAZN story because we were talking about on this podcast a few weeks ago that DAZN was trying to buy BT Sport. It was going to be, they had Germany and Italy. Now they were going to be expanding into the UK, sort of setting the stage for being a public company by having more territories. But here's the problem. When you don't own the content, you don't own the content and you're just trying to license it and somebody can bid it away. And this is sort of this existential thought exercise that we've been having with Disney of like, can you really ever build a great business for ESPN plus if you are renting content versus Disney plus where you own the the only way, honestly, the only way you can is if your competitors for that content go away and you have, and there's also power in the destination. 
such that you can get that content at a lower price because your platform is meaningful. That so is just, the only way. So but let's stick the with problem that. is now you have big tech coming after these sports rights in a bigger way than before, which is going to make it much more difficult for ESPN to kind of fulfill the dream of being the destination for sports fans that every league has to license to. So let's let so I'm going to audible. Let's go right to Ooh. Amazon. Let's go right to Amazon because they are spending based on what they announced. They're going to spend they spent 13 billion on film, TV and music content in 2021, up 18 percent. That obviously doesn't include the NFL, which starts in 22, where they're spending a billion dollars for Thursday Night Football. Doesn't include Lord of the Rings. like, And they just raised the price of Prime from 119 to 139. So they've got a yep. lot more cash coming in to fund all of this content. Yeah. I mean, look, dude, I mean, that $20 price increase isn't just about content. Uh, Amazon has a lot uh, of expenses, number one. Number two. We're in a massive inflationary period, right? Uh, again, totally understand, but it all speaks to, I remember being out at Amazon years ago with you, probably four years yeah. ago, three, four years ago. And we were talking about, it sounded like maybe they were slowing down in their spending and that they weren't going to be as aggressive. Hitting the, hitting the efficient frontier, I think is, is what we said. And by the way, in terms of the spending on GE content, it is possible that they're um, reaching some kind of inefficient frontier. And a lot of the incremental spend is coming in sports content. Just to put that spending in perspective, Amazon's capital budget this year is $60 billion going to AWS partner with dish on the telecom vertical. Um, warehouses facilities yep. right for that business to grow and and actual um transportation trucks deliveries and returns that's a big business that requires investments yeah i mean look the amazon prime bundle is reflective of the entire business x um aws right right aws is the thing that's generating all the profits that's right but I mean, the bundle is sticky, not just because of the uh, entertainment content. It's for also sure. sticky for shipping. And we know how much more important e-com has gotten since well, I, the beginning of the But on top pandemic. of it, it's not just raising price on the bundle. The other thing that's sort of amazing, Amazon, on top of that subscription fee increase, talk about a dual revenue stream business. They have $31 billion of advertising revenue coming in. Now. Yeah, that's so it's incredible. Like, if we start adding up Snap plus pins, like all of these kind of like secondary platform Twitter that, that we talk about, like they blow it away. By the way, so look, does Microsoft. Look, Facebook's $115 billion advertising revenue. So it's Isn't massive. 115? Like but, 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 but whatever. But 31 for Amazon, it's just massive especially if facebook's going in the wrong directions <laughs> um too soon we'll we'll see where tiktoks comes out um sure. you want to read this one brandon because i think this is a topic you've been sure darren on. rovell penn national gaming ceo jay snowden comes out eagles fan. eagles fan by the way jay snowden he's got a picture of the the um the picture behind me he has a picture in his basement 
signed by Nick Foles himself. Go on, Brandon. Sorry to interrupt, but that's okay. Yeah, it is relevant. Penn National Gaming CEO Jay Snowden comes out firing, saying that the investment community needs to pay attention to net gaming revenue as competitors spend more on marketing than they make in handle, yet focus is on their handle. Here's the problem that Jay has. Yes, they're trying to run it for profitability, but in terms of market share, they're getting pushed out. And at some point, all of the smaller companies are going to fall to the wayside or get consolidated. And he is always going to have to contend with the beasts in the industry, which is going to put a cap on his eventual profitability. Thoughts? Well, wasn't the theory here that Barstool was supposed to generate traffic? And you're just saying if that has not been as effective as was initially hoped? We've discussed well, that many it, it, times. It's hard to know <laughs> if it wasn't as effective versus the level of competition was also insanely greater. Like people or, willing or, or the $3,000 that you just booked the other day, the 1500 right, a few that, days later. But that's not sustainable because once the $3,000 is utilized, then you're just going to go to where you're going to go for whatever reason. And the theory was you're going to go to because of the connectivity to Barstool in part, right? In terms yeah. of. So maybe it's just, it's going to take a little time for. Was the amount of stoolies and their dedication and the amount of stoolies that are interested in sports betting overstated? Well, I don't think that, I don't think that even Portnoy himself would fault a stoolie for, for taking $3,000 of free money for some period of time. (laughs) It doesn't mean that they're going to stay away from pen gaming forever. If that's an option in the market that you're in. And again, it depends how maybe they need to be a little bit more aggressive at integrating the content within the app itself, as opposed to making it kind of associated just to have that. Or have con- if that's the key, though, right? How many people are truly dedicated to that content? Is it enough to move the needle? That's my question. So they don't need they don't need to spend on acquisition to get those those stoolies to be dedicated to to their product right yeah but how many people are there that that actually matters to yeah and is it enough to build a huge business yeah your point is you could be totally into the content but still like are happy to continue to bet on your DraftKings app or whatever it is. That's right. And by the way, right. But my point like, is that like DraftKings, what do they do? They they're also at the same time investing in the application itself. Right. But you so then you have to force that. I, I agree with that. But you then have to don't you then have to force the fan to come into your app to see that content. And then there's there's going to be a stickiness associated with that. You have to embed, I would think the content directly the app. Yeah. yeah and then then the person be like well I'm, I'm sitting here watching you know whatever whatever their their the different characters are you know bitching about their team while i'm making my bet why am i even bothering with this other th- these other apps that are out there it feels like scale's gonna eventually i think i said this win. before like i just yeah i mean and who can like, add other things on to their business so the thing about the $3,000 benefit is unless you were arbing like Brandon was not to out you, Brandon. And like no, making, I, I'll fully admit it. I made the, between my wife and I, we made $6,500. Right, I made a one-time bet. Like I haven't done yeah. that. Like, so I'm kind of it's awesome. 
I'm kind of not stuck in there because I don't give a shit. Like I can have multiple books, but like, it's going to take time for me to work, um, work up to that 3000 to use it. Um, you know, unless I use whatever I do, one of your things, but, um, I mean, that's, that's, but that's a stickiness for a certain period of time, like a promotion. And then you go elsewhere. Like there's no, there's no stickiness to it. Right. I can make the same bets at any of these different apps. They have something unique. I just don't know maybe if they're utilizing it to its fullest potential, but that can certainly change over time. Wow. Bitcoin just crossed 40K. Let's do this real quick. We got AMC uh, out telling everyone how amazing things are because they wanted to basically refi some of their um, junk debt earlier this week. The, the sort of the amazing thing is, is just as they're touting positive EBITDA, now that's positive EBITDA, um, if you don't include all of the deferred rent expense that they have throughout the year, um, you know, and the fact and the positive free cash flow was my favorite, like barely positive free cash flow. But not only does that not include the deferred rent, it actually excludes the fact that they have slashed capex basically down to like, you know, literally Boom. like b- below low, like crazy levels. It's also like seasonally a strong quarter for them in terms of cash flow, right? Because it, you got the holiday quarter there so it's holiday and summer that they do well so we'll see how well they do in q1 q2 well but that's what's up on the screen brandon is january box office was down 57 percent from 2020 and 2019 so you know this idea that like it's getting better like yeah spider-man was huge everybody went everybody saw it but basically box office has been completely barren other than spider-man and there's nothing on the schedule really of substance until batman next month so it's just really, really weak still. But did you did you see that stat that more money was spent in January on OpenSea for board eight purchases than in total box office in the US? I mean, it's 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 stunning. I mean, I don't even know what to do with that. It's just crazy. I think the thing that people in web three say is nothing to see here. We'll and Uday made it look like I'm just looking at your your board ape, and Uday made it look like you're you're kind of balding. I see. A That's lot of what I said. There. The hair is just ridiculous. Yeah, it's way look too at my thin. hair versus look at that hair. Yeah, you can't see any scalp. It's absurd. There. Yeah, he has you like just thinning and like plugs or something. I don't even know. Yeah, terrible. Let's go terrible. to Alex Weprin, who <laughs> tweets Friday night mini scoop. Bill Ackman isn't the only one buying Netflix shares this week. Co-CEO Reed Hastings has scooped up almost $20 million worth, according to regulatory filings. Uh, I think Netflix is now, what is it? How much is off the bottom of Netflix? I'm just looking. It's like 402. I think it bottomed around 350. Um, Reed hasn't bought stock in a long time. Like It's sort of interesting that he's stepping in and buying. Um, you know, I think the, the same- Ackman thing is the most interesting, how he can go out there you know, buy stock, pump the stock, right? <laughs> After he buys it and it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. We'll see. I mean, it's just interesting. Kylar was out there too, talking about how someone's going to hit a billion subscribers and how this is still early innings. So you've got, you know, the two smartest people in streaming, Reed buying more stock and Jason talking about a billion subscribers and investors bailing on the entire sector. We'll see. But my guess is this panic has happened before. Let's uh, talk a little uh, red zone. 
Actually, I guess it's called crunch time. Why don't, why don't you talk crunch time, Rich? Why don't you well, go ahead and read? It's breaking. Tonight, the NBA is testing its own version of quote-unquote red zone, switching through games as they enter crunch time on the NBA app. And look, the reason I thought this was just interesting is because we all talk about how attention spans have declined, how nobody wants to watch full se- you know, regular season NBA games. And if there was a red zone-like product, it just makes me think like that's exactly what consumers want. And would you end up with sort of the all of these kids who sort of have abandoned game watching could red zone on your phone or on your you know laptop like could that sort of this crunch time thing could that be a way of re-engaging the fans which is amazing for the nba i'm not sure it's great for all of the local you know rsns that have all of these rights who you know sort of want you to watch the full game and want you to have the channel but it certainly is an interesting product for the nba that could be very disruptive over the next several years you know, more so than even red zone is because red zone, you know, you really want to watch the game. If you're in that, yes, there's some people that watch it, but it, it's never been a massive product. Whereas I think for the NBA, cause it's just so many games every night, it could be a much more interesting product. It's also fun for, um, for betting and as yeah. sports betting takes off, I think it's a way to engage sports betters. Totally agree. I love uh, the idea. Let's move on. Last, uh, our last tweet is NBC universal. This is wall street journal. Looking to avoid disappointing anyone, planning to give Peacock a try for the 2020 Winter Olympics, which are set to begin 2022. Later this week. Sorry. And I'll tell you, I was on the way into the office this morning and I was streaming the opening ceremonies. And the 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 comp or the 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 other part to the story is I remember last summer walking into um in the office and trying to stream the Summer Olympics on Peacock, and it said it will be available tomorrow. Whereas now, obviously, everything is available. And so it's awesome that it's all on Peacock. I realize Walt hates the interface. But the the larger question is, you know. If you want to watch the Olympics. I mean, I like to ski. I don't really want to watch skiers on the Olympics. What about the luge? I love the luge. I love curling. What about, um, what's the one where they curling? Yeah, curling. sweep the things. Yeah, that that one used to always be on CNBC. What about what about the what about the um, Eddie the Eagle thing? What do they call that? The long what? jump. Oh, speaking uh, of Eagles, Walt, Eddie we have one year uh, anniversary. Oh yeah, this was the song that the Eagles came out to one year ago today when they defeated the hated Patriots, and then Tom Brady recently resigned. Didn't resigned. He resigned. <laughs> he resigned from his post. And by the way, how about the fact that Brady didn't thank the Patriots in his resignation? Poor taste. Instagram, Poor taste. Is. Poor taste. TB12. So Nick Foles, I don't know if anyone saw this, posted a congratulations to Tom Brady, and he showed the picture of them shaking hands prior to the game, just as the ultimate troll. Love it. Fly, Eagles fly. So you will not be watching the Olympics this weekend, I'm guessing. I'll watch the Olympics. I'll I'll watch the Olympics. NBA trade deadline coming up. Did you see how Shaq went after Ben Simmons? And then the story last night about how Ben Simmons cried, lit into Shaq's DM to complain to him, and then Shaq outed him for it. Yeah, he should. Fucking hilarious. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for your patience in listening to us this week. We will Episode 92. see you again next week. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. <laughs> <laughs>
heat, game on wood. With that Puma life on my feet, like that little engine I could. Boy, I slide down in your block, back on 12 o'clock. And 